This is fun, huh? This is cool. Gerald, do we need to close that back door back there? We don't want to uh, offend the neighbors right away. Let's close that back door. I realize it's hot. Listen, I had them install a thermometer on my pulpit. And it's 76.8 degrees in here and 68% humidity. That's nothing. You guys pay money to go to Hawaii where it's twice as hot. So I see you all waving your little things. Don't worry about the sweat. Just sweat. I'm already soaking wet. Do I look worried? I'm not concerned. We're going to sweat together. It's the body of Christ. It's all right. Maybe someday the Lord will afford us air conditioning. Right now we have nothing, so we have none. But maybe someday we'll have some. But we're going to close the back door because the city requires us to do so for noise ordinances right now. And uh, you just all sweat, okay? If you need to peel off a layer, it's all right. I'm going to unbutton one of these, two of these. As Gerald said, after the service, we got a fellowship. We want to develop a church here that is based on community, that is based on unity, that is based on uh, deep relationships. So right now, like he said, they're barbecuing. We'll just walk down. Have you noticed how the building God has given us is on the beach? Did you notice that the beach is right there? Amen. Praise the Lord. Hooray. Hurrah. So we'll walk down there, and there's a little grass area and some covered places. There's nice tables. You don't need to sit in the sand. We'll just have a lot of good food. My wife made the salsa. It's absolutely superb. It's a deep, dark secret. You'll never know what's in it, but you'll eat a lot of it today. It's going to be wonderful. So we want to be a church that's based on community. Secondly, we want to be a church that's based on sharing, or said differently and said more biblically, serving. We're going to be very hard on pew potatoes in this church. Because we don't believe that that's biblical Christianity. We don't believe that your Christian walk, as it involves the body of Christ and congregational meetings, should be just coming, sitting, receiving, and going. Those would be uh, yielding you as fat sheep. We want fit sheep. Sheep of God who feed upon the Word of God and then minister to the people of God. And those who don't yet know God. So everyone who will call this church home needs to get involved. That means you need to be giving, you need to be serving, you need to be praying, you need to be loving, you need to be sharing and pouring out your life because that's the way God designed Christianity to work in the congregational setting. Your own Christianity in your private room is something else. But is anybody here hip for some congregational Christianity in the months to come? Okay. If you're a pew potato, don't leave. Don't make this your last week, but just realize it's going to get rough on you. We're going to call upon you to be a healthy, functioning member of the church. We, of course, consider prayer to be very important. So every morning before our um, service, an hour before, we'll meet at 8.30 and have a prayer meeting. All are welcome to come to that and intercede for what God might do in our midst. Also, worship. We believe that we were created to worship God and that we exist to do so, and that worshiping Him is an expression of our love for Him and our gratitude toward what He has done in our lives. So we give great importance to worship here. That first set of worship was just a snidbit. We here at Reality do the primary portion of the worship after the message. So after the message, we'll go directly back into the throne room. Now, there's freedom to worship in this place. We've made large aisles in the large area up here. In the four corners of the sanctuary, you'll see tables set up for communion. Every Sunday, we'll have communion. It's set up there. There's some bread, and you can come up, and you could kneel there at the communion place and just commune with your Lord and rejoice in what He has done for you. There's a cup of wine there, grape juice for you kids, and it's just one cup. Okay, so what you do is you break the bread and you dip in 
If you want to pick it up and sip from it, just make sure you're the last person taking communion that day. So every week we'll have communion during worship. And during worship, you're free to move around the sanctuary. Sometimes the Lord will put it on your heart to kneel before him, to get on your face before him. We've left room for that up here. Sometimes you just need to get out of the distraction of the back and come up and worship right at the altar. We've left room for that. And lastly, as a body, as a congregation, we give great importance to the teaching of the Word of God as Pastor G began to share. We believe that the Word of God is wonderful because in it, God is revealed. His plan, His love, His awesomeness, His direction for our lives, His correction for our lives, training for righteousness, it's all found in the Word of God. So we will give a large amount of time to studying the Word of God each week. And this week we're going to start in the Gospel of Mark. So open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. If you didn't bring a Bible this week, just know that you always need a Bible here. You always need a Bible. Open up to the Gospel of Mark. It's easy to find. It's just after Matthew. Now I can tell I'm going to have to train some of y'all, warm some of you up. Let me get my flip-flops on. Listen, on Sunday mornings, I'm not going to be the only one doing the talking. I'm not going to be the only one doing the hooraying and the amening. You know what I'm saying? You guys need to amen. Somebody knows. You guys need to interact with me, okay? I don't know where you went to church previously. Maybe you had to sit there quietly with your hands folded. Not so here. If you feel like you need to give an amen to something from the Word of God, give an amen. If you feel like you need to give a hooray, hurrah, give one of those. If you need to get on up and wave your Bible, you might look weird, but go ahead and do it. But we interact, okay? So loosen up. Y'all look a little hot, a little tense. Get loose. Ready? Mark, amen. See? Somebody's getting trained already. The Gospel of Mark, miraculously enough, we're going to cover 11 verses from the Gospel of Mark today. Let's read it together. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. You get the picture? Weird. Verse 7, And he was preaching and saying, After me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came about in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit of God like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is living and it's active, and it's able to do radical things in our lives. And we ask ask now 
that in the name of Jesus, you would instruct us by your Holy Spirit. You alone have the words of life. You alone know all things. You know everything that's going on in our lives. You know where we are. You know our need for you. And so come and minister to us now as friends, as a congregation, as a community, through your word, by your Holy Spirit. We don't want to hear from me. We want to hear from you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, there's five witnesses here to the deity of Jesus Christ. Five witnesses in these 11 verses to the fact that Jesus was God in the flesh. You heard in chapter, in verse 1, I'm sorry, Mark say it. Mark said the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You heard in verses 2 through 3 that the prophets prophesied about it prior to his coming. Mark, as he writes here, is referring to Isaiah and Malachi. Malachi writing about 400 years before Jesus ever came. Isaiah writing about 700 years before Jesus ever came. There's two witnesses to who Jesus is. The third is John the Baptist. There he said, one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, John the Baptist said, of Jesus Christ. The next witness was the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was at the Jordan, the heavens opened up, we're told, in the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit descended and rested upon him. And the fifth witness is God the Father, who at that moment in history said from heaven, can you imagine if you were there and you heard from heaven the voice of God saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to me, friends. Five witnesses means it's a done deal. If somebody, one person, saw me run a red light, maybe over at the intersection of Carp Ave and Casitas Pass, you know that light there. Let's say I ran that red light, as I have done previously in history, unfortunately, and you were sitting there at Rudy's, formerly Senior Frogs, and you were enjoying the food, and you saw me run the red light, and you went and told my mom and said, Terry, I saw Britt run a red light today. She might say, ah, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. But if a second person came to my mom and said, Terry, I was sitting there in front of Washington Mutual Bank and I saw your son run the red light, my mom would say, I don't believe it. He's a good boy. <laughs> but if three people came and the third person said, I was pulling out of the post office and I saw him come zooming through the red light, my mom would still say, not my boy. Maybe a fourth person would come and say, I was pulling out of Starbucks, and I too saw Britt run the red light. My mom would say, never. But if the fifth person said, Terry, I was standing in front of the junior high. I saw the whites of his eyes. Your son ran the red light. She would say, that's my boy. <laughs> Five witnesses confirms a fact. In fact, the Bible says by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact is confirmed. We have here, in the beginning of the book of Mark, which we will study together in the coming months, five witnesses to the fact of who Jesus Christ is, that he is the Son of God, and yet God manifests in the flesh. We have not only the five witnesses from the book of Mark, we have the entirety of the Bible. Do you realize that that Bible, which is open upon your lap, contains 66 books written by over 40 authors, over a couple 
couple thousand years in three languages on two different continents, and yet it has one single message, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that he was prophesied of centuries before his coming, that he died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, three days in the grave, and then by his own power he rose to life and he conquered sin and death and hell. Every witness in the book says the same thing. Amen. Not only that, but we have the historical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I challenge you now before many witnesses to study the historical facts concerning his resurrection. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Nobody else in all of history has predicted their own death, offering that death as a substitutionary death for you because of your sins and the position you are in before God. Nobody else offered to say, I'll pay your price, and then predicted their own death, and then died on that very day, and having predicted their own resurrection, pulled it off. Nobody in all of history has ever done that. Who has ever offered to pay your price? Nobody. Who has died for you? Nobody. Who has risen from the dead on his own power? Nobody but Jesus Christ. He is the only one. Besides the witness of Mark and the others there, besides the witness of the entirety of Scripture, besides the witness of the historical fact of the resurrection, we have the witness of the changed lives. Can anybody whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ raise your hand right now? Look around. Look at all these people. The disciples, the night that Jesus was arrested, they fled. They left them. They didn't even show up for the cross. That's kind of a big gig to miss. You know what I mean? This whole thing is about the cross. The disciples bail out. They're ashamed of who Jesus was at that moment. But after his resurrection, they laid down their lives. They went around preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins through his blood and his grace and his mercy. And every single disciple died a martyr's death because of their faith in Jesus. If Jesus is not real, if he is not the Messiah, if he did not die and rise again, then they died in vain and they were dumb men but the bible declares otherwise so there is a unanimous vote that jesus christ is who the bible says the son of god and so mark opens up his book by saying the beginning of the gospel and he will lay out for us over the next few months not just a historical account yes it is a historical account it retells what went on in the life and ministry of Jesus but beyond that the gospel of Mark is an announcement it is an announcement to the world through the generations throughout history to all the nations that Jesus has provided victory over sin victory over death, and victory over hell. It has been announced in the book that is before you. And so he says, the beginning of the gospel. Somebody tell me, what does gospel mean? Good news. Well, you've heard the saying, I've got good news and I've got bad news. It seems that anytime there is some good news, it is because there was also some bad news, correct? Can anybody testify? There's some bad news that I need to share with you guys. I'm obligated to share this. I'm called by God to share this. The bad news is this. The Bible declares that every single person who lives is a sinner. That every single human in existence is wrong. They have sinned against God, that God has set a standard. And we, me, you, us, every human on earth, has fallen short of the glory of God, the standard that he has set. We do not live up to God's standards. God's standard is perfect, perfect beyond that which we could imagine. 
And the thing is, his dwelling place, his house is perfect. Heaven, it's paradise. And he's not going to let you into his house with sin in your life. I need to let you know that. He will not let you in. That's the way that he works. My mom, Terry, she just got new carpets in her house. Beautiful, expensive, wonderful new carpets throughout the house. Now, if I show up at the house just having served tar pits with tar and sand all over my feet, my mother who loves me, who birthed me, is she going to let me in her house? Never. Though she loves me, though she birthed me, she will say, boy, go clean your feet. You cannot come into my house with that mess. God created you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He loves you, but you cannot go to his house without having your mess cleaned up. And Jesus Christ is the only one who could clean up the mess. That's the good news because do you see the bad news? The wages of sin is death, the Bible declares, not just dying physically, but spiritual death meaning eternal separation from God, let me say a word that not many churches say nowadays, hell. The penalty for sin in your life is hell. Jesus described hell as a place where there's outer darkness, gnashing of teeth, weeping, and a worm that never dies. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. You don't want to go there. God does not want you to go there. The good news is that although we, me, you, us, all deserve to go to hell because of our sin and our wickedness, God loves you too much to allow it. And so God has provided a way to heaven. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is life in Christ Jesus. What does God do with sin? The Bible declares that God removes it. He doesn't just cover it up. He doesn't just repair your life. The Bible declares that he removes sin from our lives, that he removes it as far as the east is from the west, that he buries it in the deepest sea. The Bible declares that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can be declared not just not guilty. Wouldn't it be wonderful? If when I got pulled over for driving through that red, red uh, stoplight and I got a ticket, a couple hundred bucks, wouldn't it be wonderful if I went before the judge and the judge said, wham, not guilty. I'm going to pay the fine. What? That's wonderful. But what if this? What if this? What if I went before the judge and the judge said, not only are you not guilty, but you are innocent and you are right and you are wonderful and here's 200 bucks from the city of Carpinteria. Now, that would be something. Friends, that is what Jesus Christ has provided for us on the cross. Not just forgiveness, not just being declared not guilty, but being declared more than innocent, being declared righteous. The Bible declares that if any man or woman is in Christ, behold, they are a brand new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become brand new. Amen. But the situation is to become brand new, to avoid sin and death and hell, we must be in Christ. We must be born again. Now, wouldn't it be foolish for what Jesus went through on the cross if God then made it hard for you to get to heaven? Friends, he's made it very simple. You see, Jesus already paid the price. 
Jesus did all the hard work. Jesus is the one that was born of a woman. Jesus is the one that labored as a carpenter. Jesus is the one that walked throughout the promised land, healing and ministering and blessing. Jesus is the one who was arrested. Jesus is the one who had his clothes stripped from him and had a cat of nine tails laid across his back from the back of his neck to the back of his knees and had his back ripped wide open. Jesus is the one who was mocked and beaten and spit upon. Jesus is the one who had the crown of thorns pressed into his head. Jesus is the one who had the beard pulled from his face. Jesus is the one who had a nail in his left hand, a nail in his right hand, and a nail through his feet. Jesus is the one who died the death upon the cross. He did the work. He paid the price. You don't have have to do it. All you need to do is say, I receive that. I believe that. I accept that. Jesus, save me according to that. And at that moment, it is a done deal. God is just that good. He's not going to make it difficult for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, having already paid the price. Yet there is one thing that we must do, and that's in verse it says John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River confessing their sins listen to me friends The only thing that we have to do to be born again, to be saved, is the R word. Repent. It says in verse 2 and in verse 3 that before the coming of Jesus, God prepared the way for his coming. Listen to me. That God prepared the way for his coming. In those ancient days, anytime a king was coming into a region, there would go before him a servant, a messenger, And the job of that messenger, that servant, was to prepare the way for the king. He would repair the road so that the king had a smooth entry into that ancient city. And he would prepare the people so that he was well received by the inhabitants of that ancient city. In the same way, the prophets spoke of Jesus' coming. And John the Baptist, listen now, prepared the way by preaching what? Repentance. In the same way, friends, who are visiting today, God has prepared the way into your heart for the entry of Jesus Christ as your Savior. How does God prepare the way? Well, I imagine in those ancient days, if they had signs, the messenger, the servant, would be called to repair the signs along the road. He would have to read the signs. They would have to be in place so the king could find his way. Listen to me. God has sovereignly, over the last few months, been placing signs in some of your lives. The signs say one thing. There's something missing in your life. Something isn't right. You can't explain it. Your job is wonderful. Your friends are great. School's going all right. Everything's okay with the family. You have your health. You surf, you have your car, you have all the stuff you want. And yet there is, at the end of the day, in the dark of the night, when you're alone with you and your life, an emptiness, a missingness, something astray, something not there, a longing, a hunger, 
a concern. I asked somebody yesterday who I hadn't seen in years. I said, hey, man, what have you been doing? And he said, oh, you know, school and work, just living. It struck me. Isn't that the common answer? Hey, what have you been up to? Oh, nothing. School and work, just living. There was on his face and in his voice the unmistakable sign of unfulfillment. There was on his face and in his voice a sound and a vision that you could not miss, that he was crying out, that he was saying in his heart, there must be something more than this. Is this all that life has to offer? Is this it? I mean, I wake up, and from the time I'm, my son, Isaiah, he's starting school this week at El Montecito School, wonderful school. He's two. He's almost three. From the time that you're two until you're, if you're like me, 25, you go to school every day. And if you're like me, you had to go to summer school. From two to 25, you go to school And then when you're done with school, you say, oh, this is great. I'm done with school. No more homework. And then you go to work, and you find out that work is a million times worse than school. (laughs) At school, your friends were there. At school, you could ditch. You can't ditch work. Your friends aren't there. At school, you came home, and your mama had food. Now you come home, and you cook top ramen. (laughs) There's got to be something more to life. We wake up, we go to school, we go to work, we die. Is that it? That is not it. The Bible declares that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible declares that God knit you together in your mother's womb. That the color of your eyes, there is a God in heaven who is your father. He chose the color. The color of your hair, God chose that. He shaped your nose. He shaped your chin. He chose your race. He chose where you would be born. He shaped your hand, your legs, everything about you. God made you. And the Bible declares in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that you are his in the Greek poema. What does that mean? Masterpiece. Listen to me. You are his masterpiece. Think of all that God has created. Walk outside of our church here and go down to the beach. It's beautiful. Look up at the mountains and say, they're wonderful. Look at all the lovely things God has made. God declares that of all his creation, you are the most valuable. You are the one that he put the most into. You are God's masterpiece, and he is madly and amazingly in love with you. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say God was so committed by sin. It doesn't say God's hands were tied so he had to give his only begotten son. There was nothing else he could do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would never perish but would have everlasting life. Let me ask you now. Don't answer. Just in your own heart and your own mind. Has there been something missing? All of a sudden the dots just don't connect. You're saying... Is this it? There's got to be something more to life. Please tell me, I don't go to school from 2 to 25 and then work from 25 to 65 and then I die. Please tell me there's something more than that. Friends, Mark declares when he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ that there is more, that there is an eternity carved out and planned for you which is wonderful and perfect and beyond our imagination. And the only way to receive it is through Jesus Christ. Uh Uh-oh, hold on, listen, wait a minute. I'm going to be very politically incorrect right now. 
Let me say what I said again. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it one more time. I don't want people to misunderstand me. The only way to heaven, the only way not to go to hell is through Jesus Christ. There are two options when you die, heaven and hell. I'm sorry, I didn't make it up. I didn't write the book. It's God's book. He made the rules. We just got to live by them. He has provided one way. Buddha will never get you to heaven. I'm very sorry to tell you that. Muhammad will never get you to heaven. I'm very sorry to tell you that. There are no amount of rocks or crystals or chants or sagebrush that will ever get you to heaven. Jesus Christ gave validity to his words by the resurrection from the dead. I challenge all of mankind before heaven and earth to tell me who else has pulled that off. Nobody. Therefore, the words of Jesus Christ alone have validity. And he himself said in John chapter 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody is getting to heaven except through me. And so, in your life, you have begun to realize there's got to be something more. The preparation. And now comes the really fun part, repentance. John preached repentance. Repentance is such a kind of crazy word, isn't it? We hear repent and we think fire and brimstone. You know, we chose red lights uh, because we thought it was like fire and brimstone. No, I'm just kidding. Repent. My prayer for this congregation is that repent would become the sweetest word in our midst. That we would begin to love the word repent because the Bible declares in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Peter said in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, before all of Israel, repent therefore and turn to God that your sins may be wiped away and times of refreshing may come from being in the presence of the Lord. Listen to me. I am going to call some of you today to repent. Not because I'm a mean preacher, not because it's some weird religious thing. I, in my life, have to repent continually because I am continually wrong. But I know that to repent is the most wonderful thing because God is continually good and he's always willing to forgive. David in the Old Testament was a great king of Israel. He committed adultery and then he killed the husband. And he declares in Psalm chapter 32, it was eating me up inside. My life juices were wasting away. I was dying from the inside out. And then he says in Psalm 32, but I confessed my sins to God and he surrounded me with songs of deliverance. He forgave me. He was renewed. Times of refreshing came into his life because the Bible declares that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't it seem from the Bible that Jesus is wonderful? God manifest in the flesh as the Son of God. And so how do we experience Him? Can you guess? One word. Starts with an R. Verse 9. We're already there. And it came about in those days that Jesus came. Stop. Hold on. And it came about in those days. What days? After the people repented, Jesus came. Listen to me, friends. For many of you, today is the day. 
for Jesus Christ to enter into your life, to forgive you of every sin you have committed and set you on the sure road to heaven. But it only came, he only showed up after repentance. And so we will have a church here, we will have a community here, we will have a fellowship here that loves to repent. Many of us as Christians will repent before one another continually. Many of you today will repent before God for the first time and say, God, I'm a sinner. You're the Savior. Please save me, Jesus. And many more that we know in this community and the surrounding regions will also begin to do the same because here's what we will see visually. When we repent of being wrong as a community, as a people, as a nation, when we begin to repent of being wrong, of walking in our wickedness, of lying against God and cheating against God and defrauding our fellow men, when we repent of that, God will come into our community, into our lives, into our nation, and he will bring refreshment and he will bring renewal and he will bring revival and he will bring his kingdom into our midst, his newness, his sweetness. So friends, it would be silly today to remain in your sins. God is so good. He made it so easy by Jesus doing all the work and simply saying to you, come to him and repent before him, ask him for forgiveness. It would be silly not to repent this day and say, wow, God, you've put signs in my life. You prepared the way. There's been this strange longing. And now I've heard what John the Baptist said, that I need to repent before God. It would be strange to realize that you're in this place and think it was only a coincidence. If you're here and you've never received Jesus Christ, it's not a coincidence. God has brought you here. And today is your day. You might say, well, I, I, I think maybe I'm a Christian. Then you're not. If you are born again from above, you know it. You have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit has been placed in you by the living God and there is a transformation beginning to take place in your life. And now I am going to give many of you the opportunity to receive that forgiveness. In just a moment, I'll do something very bold. Listen to me. In just a moment, here's what's going to happen. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come up and they're going to begin to play music and sing about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And at that time, you will have the opportunity to get up out of your seats, make your way to the aisle, and come right down here to the altar in public, in front of everybody, and repent. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is one thing that will keep you from doing it, and it is your pride. You will say, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed, I'm concerned what people might think. Don't you know that people don't think about you? People are just like you. They think about themselves, and yet they think everybody else is thinking about them. Nobody's thinking about them. Everybody's thinking about themselves. Nobody thinks about you. If you knew how little people thought about you, you wouldn't care that much about what they thought about you. They don't think about you. They think about themselves. So get over the people around you and be aware now that there is a God who loves you, and it's time to be concerned with what he thinks. It's time to be concerned with what he is concerned with, and he is concerned with your well-being the forgiveness of your sins and your entrance into eternal heaven. He is concerned with that. He made you and he loves you. And so I will ask you to publicly come forward. And there some of you will gather and I will lead you in a prayer of repentance and asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Why publicly? 
fly. Can't you just sneak your hand up? No. Can't you just kind of sit in your chair and maybe something? Well, let me ask you. Did you sin publicly? Then repent publicly. Uh-oh, hold on. Oh, no. Here comes some real Christianity. Listen, friends. God is calling us to live for him in these days. Because if you look around the world, there's nothing left to live for except for Jesus Christ and his goodness. So now I'll pray. And while I pray, you make your decision. And then we'll all stand so we make it easy for people. And people will begin to walk forward. And as you walk forward, there will come an eruption of applause. Why? Because Jesus Christ said that in heaven, when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice. We will be joining in heaven as each sinner repents. We will applaud and say, hooray, amen, thank you, Jesus, that I'll see that one in heaven. Thank you that I will see that one in heaven. Thank you for that one. And heaven will rejoice, and your God will rejoice, and we will rejoice together. So if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're in the house of God with the family of God. We love you, and now is the time to do it. It's the time to give up your pride and to come and receive brand new life. If you're a Christian and you've been walking in a backslidden life and you know what I mean, I don't have to describe it, it's time also for you to come up and say, okay, Lord, I want to get right again. I want a brand new beginning, a brand new season. As I pray, you make your eternal decision and then you respond. Let's all pray. Father, we thank you for the clear witness of your word and that your son is the one who died on our behalf and rose from the dead and offers us forgiveness. And Jesus, I know that in this place right now, you're knocking upon hearts. They know they need your forgiveness. They know they need your love. They know they need your transformation. None of us are perfect. But you're not looking for perfection. You're looking for repentance. You don't save the perfect. You save the sinners. You died for us. And so now, knock upon our hearts, Lord. God, I ask that in the name of Jesus, everyone that you would call unto yourself this day would come and receive brand new life. You bring them now. Those for the first time and those that need to just get right, you bring them in Jesus' name.